So the passage today um, comes from John chapter 3. It's going to be verses 22 through 26. All right, I'm going to read that. If you want to turn there, you can. It'll also be on the screen. Um, Or if you have a screen that you want to scroll to, that's fine. We're good. All right, anybody? Awesome. Cool, I hear a couple of zipper. All right, let's go. John 3, 22 through 26. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon uh, near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was put into prison. And at that time, a certain, certain Jew began an argument with John's disciples over ceremonial cleansing. John's disciples came to him and said, Teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going there instead of coming here to us. John replied, God in heaven appoints each person's work. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him. That is all. The bride will go where the bridegroom is. A bridegroom's friend rejoices with him. I'm the bridegroom's friend. And I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. I am of the earth, and my understanding is limited to the things of earth. But he has come from heaven. He tells what he has seen and heard, but how few people believe what he tells them. Those who believe him will discover that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God's spirit is upon him without measure or limit. The father loves his son, and he has given him authority over everything. And all who believe in God's son have eternal life. Those who don't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but the wrath of God remains upon them. All right. Longer passage, I know, but it's all going to make sense. Okay. It's important for us to keep this in mind. All right. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to get going. Father, we just thank you for this day, this opportunity to get together and to hear you and allow you to speak. Do what you want to do, Lord. Pray that you would just speak through me, speak through your word um, as we're here in your name. And pray, God, that you would let let everyone in here experience something from you to take with them when they leave this place, God. That they would leave changed and different than when they came in. Um, So, yeah, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, must be nice. Um, Backstory to this. Uh, Last week was Jefferson City Schools fall break. And what that means for people who have uh, kids under the age of six or even younger, uh, there's a lot of parenting that goes in and there's a lot of having to watch kids. There's a lot of having to be at home. Okay, and right now my wife is in a period of transition with her job. So my fall break was really just me hanging out a lot with my children. I loved it, right? But it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? As you know, if you're a parent, it's fun. You get a lot of kid time, and then also you get a lot of kid time, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was, it was really good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but I found that during the week, there was this kind of this low point that I had, and I kind of debated on whether or not to share this, but when I was kind of going into what I wanted to talk about, it just kind of kept coming to mind. So there was this low point that kind of hit the middle of the week, um, and I really, couldn't, I really couldn't gauge where it was coming from, what it was about. Um, it just kind of hit me, and I just was like, I don't really want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. You know, I, I had a little bit of free time in there to kind of get some things done, get caught up on stuff, right? You get a break, get a few days away from the 
the hustle and bustle of the job. And it's like, well, let me catch up on these things here and there. I just had no drive. No drive. I didn't care. You can almost call it like a state of depression, I guess. But I don't really, I don't really do like a depression thing. It's just not something I've really ever dealt with. But I couldn't tell what was going on. Uh, but I do know that while I was in that area, while I was in that mindset, while I was struggling, I just kept going back to my work. And for those of you who don't know, I work with FCA, right, Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Jackson County, and I just kept going back to work, and I kept going back to my coworkers, I kept going back to the things I needed to do, the things I needed to take care of, right, and it was piling on, and yada, yada, yada. And so I was just like, there's some connection with where I'm at, how I'm feeling, and, and my work, because my mind just kept going there, okay? And, um, and so the kind of the week progressed, all right, and things got better, but it was almost like it hit me like a, like a brick uh, about Thursday or Friday. Um, Lord really got a hold of my heart. And he said to me, he said, Jamie, he said, like, I've designed you to do this job the way that I've designed you to do this job. Not the way that I've designed somebody else to do this job. The way that I've designed you to do this job. Okay? And I knew in that moment the Lord was kind of getting a hold of me. and He was trying to show me, just like, you've been living this life. You've been living this job, this profession, whatever it looks like for all this time. And you've been paying attention how everybody else is doing it. And the problem is if you're looking over here and you're looking over here and you're doing this, and you're trying to keep up over here, it winds up being crippling. It winds up kind of holding us, right? And I'm sure a lot of us have been there before if we're not there even now, Okay. So the, the, the key word there is comparison, right? Comparison can be a crippling thing. It can hold you down, right? And it takes the focus off of what you were created to do, what you were intended to do, okay? Because only you can do it. God's the one that put you there. So I wanted to talk a little bit about comparison today, coming out of what I just went through. And it was great, man. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, the last week, yeah, it was, it was up and down. But, man, when, when God speaks, man, you just get changed, Right. And it just it redirects like your whole passion and everything. I mean, y'all, y'all have experienced that before. Right. You're struggling. And then, boom, God's like, hey, by the way, you're like, oh, yeah. OK, cool. And you're just like on this train ready to go. Right. So comparison heavy on my heart. We're going to talk about it today. OK. All right. So let's start with the. There we go. All right. So comparison. What's up with comparison? Um, I broke it down, tried to break it down as best I could into like three areas, three things that we see when we talk about comparison. I'm trying to use scripture to, to go with it. So we'll come back to John chapter 3, uh, 22 through 26. And I want you to stay there because I'm going to jump around a little bit, but it'll make all more sense when we get to the end. Okay. So the first thing when we talk about comparison, the issue is, is that comparison begins with an incorrect view of God, all right? When your view of God gets distorted or twisted or our view of God gets distorted or twisted, that is when comparison can begin to set in, okay? So we're going to take Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I'm going to read this real quick. In Genesis 3, 1 through 3, and I'm going to talk about it, okay? So Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make people in our image, to be like ourselves, they will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. And verse 27 says, so God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. All right, so we were created like God, okay? 
No comparison needed. Well, how about this? In chapter 3, all right, again, the creation situation, verses 1 through 3, this is when Eve is in the garden. We're familiar with Adam and Eve and the fall of man, right? Fall of man starts here. Shift in thinking about God. Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all creatures the Lord had made. Really? He asked the woman. Did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? And then Eve replies, of course not. We may eat it. The woman told him, it's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. The woman was convinced the fruit looked so fresh and delicious, delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her. Then he ate it too. So the enemy starts, he comes in, and he convinces Eve that she is not like God. She had no reason to compare. She had no reason to shift her mindset, but he says one little thing, and all of a sudden, her mind goes like this. It says, God is not who he really says he is. God's holding, me, holding out. God's taking something from me, right? So it starts with an incorrect view of God. Uh, that's something that, uh, anybody ever heard of Dallas Willard? Anybody? No? Okay, yes, some. Love Dallas Willard, right? Um, that was one of the things that always stood out to me. He said, like, all of people's problems come from an incorrect view of God. Okay? So we see that, that that's how the enemy starts. Okay? So the problem is, and it kind of perpetuates, once we have an incorrect view of God, okay, comparison then moves us to have conflict within ourselves, and we'll have fear and hurt. So we're going to pop over here to 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. And this is the Saul and David. You know, Saul slays his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. Okay? Let's read this real quick. 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did, did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander in his army, an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men and officers alike. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed Goliath, women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and cheer for King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed, or, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry, and he said, what's this? They credit David with, tens, with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So he had an incorrect view of God, and as your incorrect view of God, when it comes to comparison, it moves to a place where you start looking at yourself differently. All right? How it looks today, all right, we default to thinking that we don't matter or we're not enough, just like Saul did. Saul's looking, oh, he's got 10,000s, I got 1,000. We do this, this game right here up and down, all right? And then we fear, just like Saul did, that we're losing our position, Right? Or that we could be replaced. We fear that when we start to compare. Forgetting again that God is the one that put us where we're supposed to be. God is the one that places us where we're supposed to be, where he wants us. And when we compare, we get afraid that maybe we're out of the place. Or maybe somebody's going to do something better than me. Or somebody's going to take my position. Okay? So we've got incorrect view of God. And then we have uh, conflict within ourselves. All right? And then the next thing that we do, and this is where we're going to go back to the passage, um, John 3. 
<clears throat> Comparison then moves us to have conflict with others. So he starts with the incorrect view of God. Then it comes to conflict within ourselves. And then, naturally, it goes out. And we have conflict with others. And it creates division. Okay, so let's look at John 3, 23 through 26. If you still have your Bible open there. Give me just a second. Not a lot of room on this podium. <clears throat> So we're going to read right here. John's disciples came to him and said, Teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going over there instead of coming here to us. Okay? Instead of coming here to us. The problem in that regard was that the disciples in that moment, as the argument started, and they were having conflict with one another, they forgot that they were on the same team. They're baptizing people in the name of Jesus, right? And they're over there. Jesus' disciples are baptizing people in the name of Jesus. And they're having conflict. Well, why are they going over there? Why aren't they coming over here? What, what, about, what about us, right? How's that look today, right? We'll argue also, often with the people that we envy. We'll get something in our heart and we'll get frustrated with them. And it's hard. It's hard to deal with that. We react and we'll find ways to tear other people down. Instead of building them up, good, because we have division, even though we're on the same team. And then we also change who we are to fit the standard of those that we compare ourselves to. So instead of being who God has called us to be, we start to mold and thinking, maybe I can have some of that glory and have it look that way. And forgetting again that God did not create you that way. God created you the way that he created you. God created me the way that he created me. You get what I'm saying? Y'all with me out there? All right, good. This is, I'm having fun. All right, cool. So we're going we're gonna to keep it rolling, all right? So now that we've kind of talked about how God, I mean, how comparison starts with God, then moves into us, and then moves outward, we're going to have to figure out how do we fight that, right? How do we go against comparison? So the first thing that we need to, and this is, this is great. I love this. I love this. Reading John chapter 23 through 26, you can listen to John the Baptist's response to his disciples in that argument. Right. And he basically just gives him the business, man. He's just like, let me let me tell you what's up. OK, so the first thing that we must do and the first thing that John the Baptist talks about in his response is that we have to return our focus to God. So they come to John the Baptist and they say, why are they going over there? And John the Baptist says, uh, God is the one who appoints each person's work. God is the one who appoints each person's work. He didn't say, well, here's what you need to do. All right, well, we need to go over there and talk to these guys. He said, no, 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 God's the one that gives us the work. Okay, keep your focus on God. And similarly, Psalm 139, 13 through 14, this is David in Psalms. Oh, sorry, turned the wrong side. Here we are. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. Okay, this is that passage. It talks about, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, in 13 and 14, David says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. The focus is on God. And when you have a focus on God, then it's really, really hard to compare yourself to other people because you're not looking at you anymore. You're looking at the Lord and what the Lord has done. And all of that need to satisfy whatever it is in our minds that thinks we got to compare with this person or that person begins to dissipate, okay? But not only does it dissipate, it moves us 
to humble ourselves. Okay? So we look at God. We turn back to God. And then we humble ourselves. Okay? And look at what John says in John 3, 28 and 30. Right? John 3, 28, he says, where was it? You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I'm here to prepare the way for him. That is all. That's all. He says, it's not about me, man. It's about, about God. I'm going to humble myself and let you know that I, I'm just here for Jesus, right? And then in verse 30, he says that he must become greater. That man over there, the Messiah, he must become greater and I must become less. Get what I'm saying? Right? So we humble ourselves. You focus on God and it moves you to a place of having to humble yourself and put God before you. But here's the caveat. It doesn't stop there. Not caveat. Here's the good news. It doesn't stop there. It also then will move us into celebrating and considering others, okay? The opposite of what happens when we take our minds off of God. So John 3, 29, the bride will go where the bridegroom is. A bridegroom's friend rejoices with him. I'm the bridegroom's friend, and I'm filled with joy at his success. He focuses on God which humbles himself and then allows him and strengthens him to enjoy the success of what Jesus is doing on the other side of the river. Or allows us to have success of what Jesus is doing in other people's lives. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times where I have a hard time doing that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it's tough. It's tough sometimes when you want a promotion and somebody else gets a job, God's doing something in their life, it's tough. It can be tough. But the reality is that God is doing just as much work in your life, in my life. There's no need to compare. There's no need to compare. Okay? We should shoot to consider others and celebrate others because of what God is doing in their life. But at first, you have to focus on him. You have to allow that focus to move you into a place of humility. And then from that place of humility, you can consider and celebrate with other people. Because the moment that you get out of, that place of, out of that place of humility, you're not focused on the Lord anymore. And celebrating others is really hard. And you begin to make decisions and do things for yourself. I begin to make decisions and do things for myself to protect my position, to make sure that I'm valuable, that I'm worth it, that I matter. Why? Because I forgot that God has already told me that I'm valuable and that I matter. You get what I'm saying? Now, here's the other thing that we need to think about. It'd be all fine and dandy if we left right there and was like, oh, cool, let's go get fried chicken at Popeye's or wherever you like to eat, okay? And then be like, yeah, cool, we learned some stuff. But it's bigger than that. And I found this out. It's funny. I didn't realize this <laughs> until I was going back and kind of putting some scripture into things. So if we continue to read um, John 31, I'm, I'm going to read through this real quick. And he continues after he says to his uh, disciples that God must become greater, Jesus must become greater, and he become less. He says, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. I am of the earth, and my understanding is limited to the things of earth. But he has come from heaven. He tells what he has seen and heard. 
But how few believe what he tells them. Those who believe him discover that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God's spirit is upon him without measure or limit. The father loves his son, and he has given him authority over everything. And all who believe in God's son have eternal life. Those who don't obey God's son will never experience eternal life. But the wrath of God remains upon them. Now, at first hearing this, you would almost ask yourself, it seems a little out of place. They're just having an argument about, you know, between their disciples and what's going on across the river and stuff. And then John kind of gives them the business. And then he goes into all this stuff about, like, the Father and and Jesus is blessed and believing this and and all that kind of stuff. You're like, okay, cool. Does it connect? Does it connect? Well, here's what I found. And this this is really, really cool, actually, for me. If you flip to John 17, I'm going to put it on the screen. All right, John 17, 20 through 23. This is right around the time that Jesus was fixing to be crucified. He knew it was coming up for his time to leave. And he begins this prayer over his disciples. Try to imagine you're sitting with Jesus at the table as a disciple because you're actually listed in this scripture, as we'll see in a second. And Jesus is praying this over you, okay? He's praying this over you. What is the goal? Why must we fight our nature to compare? He didn't say that I wrote that. All right. (laughs) He's praying this over you. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. If you believe in Jesus, you're one of those ones that believe because of uh, Jesus's disciples' testimony. Okay? My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one. No comparison. Father, that you, a father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they so that they may be one, as we are, again, no comparison, I and them, and you and me, all being perfected in the one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. This happened after. John the Baptist shares all of this information's, information's, information with his disciples. Jesus says this down the road towards the end of his ministry, right? So what is the goal? The goal is belief in Jesus and knowing that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. That is why it is critical that we fight comparison. We have to. Satan knows that if we can just get, if he can just get some of us to start thinking a little bit differently about God, then what happens is we begin to compare ourselves to other people and our church begins to break down. And when division happens, it looks like Jesus is not who he says he is. It looks like God is not who he says he is. Why? This is why it is so important that John the Baptist was telling his disciples, we have to be unified. Because it goes beyond just right here. Satan doesn't tear our church down just to tear the church down. He tears our church down because it's effective in making Jesus look weak out there. That's his goal. We don't want to be like that. That is why it's critical. So when we start to compare ourselves to somebody else, Right. And what God is doing in their life and what he's called. And we should be happy. We should be thankful because you were not created to do what they were created to do. You weren't. And you can't do it the way that they do it. If we can wrap our minds around this, this understanding that there will only and ever be one of you and one of you in this whole lifetime. 
then it puts a little weight on the thing that God has called you to do. I cannot step into your body, Northcutt. I can't and do what, you, uh, do what God has for you. I can't, and I should be thankful for that. Why? Because we can work together as a team, and now you can cover ground, and I can cover ground, and then when people walk into this building or in any church, for one of two reasons, either because they really need it or because they want to see if we're really honest, when they see us together and they see Jesus pulling us together and living through us and we're considering each other better than ourselves and we're loving one another, they can't deny that that group of people knows something that they don't know. They can't deny it. Our world is totally divided right now. Our churches are even divided right now. We got crazy stuff going on out there, and I don't have to talk about it for you to know because you know that that's the truth. And sadly, it looks like Satan is winning. But we figured out a secret. He's trying to divide us. The more you can divide us, the more you can communicate to those that don't know Jesus that they don't want to know Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm not going to settle for that. I'm not. So I'm going to do everything I can to fight my comparison within the church body. The moment that I don't, the moment that I succumb to comparison, my job now has a hole in it. And what I'm supposed to do, I cannot do effectively. What you're supposed to do, you can't do effectively. You can't. Too busy looking at everything else going on. But that's okay. God gets a hold of us. He loves us and he's patient and he's caring and he understands that we are just dust and that we're small and that we struggle. But the ultimate goal, fighting comparison, is to glorify Jesus. So that the world knows that Jesus is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. And that didn't really hit me until I was going through all this stuff. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool, man. I ain't going to lie to you. That's pretty cool. It's not just about right here. It's about what we do in here and coming together here and how it affects out there. I went to a football game the other night, <clears throat> Mill Creek and Buford. It's a big-time game, high school football game. Um, and uh, Mill Creek, I think, is like the number two team in the state, and Buford's like the number six team in the nation. <clears throat> Mill Creek wind up winning, which is great. Um, but there were so many people there, so many people. And earlier in the week, I'd called the coach, and I said, uh, Coach, well, I, I actually didn't get in touch with him. I talked to a friend who talked to him. Um, was like, hey, man, I just want to be a part of what you got going on over there. Like, can I get a pass to the game or whatever? And he said, he said, people are coming out of the woodworks to be a part of this game. Right? And it got me thinking, it's like, what's most attractive? The most attractive about that, about that football team, Mill Creek, right, Buford, whatever team, Georgia Bulldogs, right, is the success that they have as a unit. It's attractive. And we want to hop on board with that. If our church, and I mean the big church, everything, could function even more as a unit, how attractive would that be to the world? We want to shout and cheer and Georgia Bulldogs, yeah, I get it, right? Go dog. <laughs> you know, like, I get it. We just, we want to identify with what is successful. We want to identify with where the hype is. 
Well, the hype for us should be Jesus. We need to look like that when we go out these walls, man. Y'all feel me? All right, cool. I don't end things well, so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm just going to let y'all fly. But um, be thinking about that this week, okay? Thinking about it. Ask God to examine your heart about whether or not there's any areas of, you know, comparison in your life, right? And it's, it's not always obvious. A lot of times it can be subtle. You watch a little too much TV, right, for myself, start seeing them dudes in the CrossFit games. I'm like, man, I should probably eat some lettuce, you know? Like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having, having goals, you know, don't get me wrong. But if I start making goals based off of trying to keep up with the people around me, no, nah, that's not going to last. It's not going to last. All right? All right. Father God, thank you again for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you love us where we are. God, and thank you that you created us, each one of us, individually for a specific purpose for your kingdom. Everybody has a job to do. We all have a job to do. And thank you that you've given us all a job to do that only we can do with Jesus. And it's it's just for us. It's special. It's unique for us. I pray that that would be the truth that covers our minds, that covers our hearts, so that when we leave this building today, Lord, we carry with us the mentality that you're going to work through us, and you can only work through us the way that you created us to do so. Let us not be derailed by the enemy and by the need or the desire to have to compare and put ourselves somewhere where we shouldn't be. No, no, no. God, protect us. Protect our mind, and let us stay walking in accordance with your will for our life. We love you. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.